for love, for laughter, for life, for the joy, which is great medicine for the soul. And Lord, we pray this morning, even as we come with this joy in our hearts, that we would think of this series that we're doing over the summer, Lord, as not something of fear and dread, but in fact, it is something, God, to challenge our spirit and, Father God, to remind us that the King is coming and it's all going to be good. That what's ahead is, is better. We say greater things are yet to come. And Lord, we know that the very fact as a church that we are called to look for your coming, we pray that as we look towards that, we don't do it with fear and trepidation, but Lord, we look forward in faith, knowing that we will meet you in the sky. Lord, we just pray this morning, Lord, and with genuineness of heart, you know I'm weary, but Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, come and help me, I ask. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Can we go back to the reading we did a week ago, a week last Sunday, um, from 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to read from 5 to 17, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and our series at the moment is called The Believer's Crowns. And um, we're just going to read, it says in 1 Corinthians 3, it says this, What after all is Apostle, Apollos, sorry, um, what is Paul, only servants, through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has made it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters has one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are all co-workers in God's service. And you are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved even though only as once escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in the midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person, for God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. And back to Romans 14 and 10, and it says this, You then, why do you judge your brother? Or your sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Now, I don't know if you are pre-millennialist, amillennialist, post-millennialist, and don't ask me to go into all that again as we did the other week, or if you're becoming more and more like me, I've decided to become a pan-millennialist, and it's all going to pan out in the end. It was maybe funnier the first time. <laughs> but whatever your belief in the structure of the coming of the Son of Man, 
whatever your understanding may be about Jesus coming, and maybe you've read some stuff in it and you think, well, I know in my head this is going to happen then and that's going to happen, the other's going to happen. And even in this room of all of these believers, some of us won't know an awful lot about it. Some of us will know maybe too much about it. And there's some of us in the middle and they're like, well, I'm not really sure exactly how it is all going to pan out. But there's one thing that all Christians can agree on. Jesus promised he was coming back for the church. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to return. He said he would return. And we looked a couple of weeks ago at the fact that when Christ returns, there's going to become that judgment day. Now, we've talked about there's lots of judgments. And the first one was when Jesus judged our sin on the cross. But the final judgment's a great white throne. And if you're not born again believer, follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's hard for someone like a pastor that loves people, but it's the truth of God's word, and I not can't deny, but it says in God's word, if your name's not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, the Bible makes it clear that the end for that person will be in the lake of fire. And can I say to you today, if you are in our service, and you have been among us, and you know that we are a people that love, and you enjoy and you love to be with us. See the love that we have for you? It's nothing compared to the love of the Father. And the Father sent the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to show you love by dying on the cross. He has done everything possible to make a way for you, not for that to happen to make a way for you to live and to live in relationship with him for all eternity. And that's his desire for you. Not that you would go to a lost eternity. And the only person that stands between you and an eternity with God is yourself. And I would plead with you this morning, if you are not right with God and you know your heart's not right with God, maybe you used to walk with God and you're walking afar, friends, get right with God again. Give your life over to God because God doesn't want you to go to the lake of fire and we don't want you going to the lake of fire. But believer, just as there is that great white throne, there is also a judgment that comes before that. And that's partly what I want to be talking about today. But you know, isn't it funny when you talk among different believers about the end times? And for some believers, there's an awful anxiety about the last days and all that's going to happen, especially for those that, that maybe hold to the fact that, you know, the tribulation, will the saints go through the tribulations? Will the saints not go through the tribulation? And for those that would maybe believe that the saints will go through tribulation, and some people say, oh, will I be faithful to take, not to take the mark of the beast and all of those things? Well, this morning, I just want to say this. I'm not here to change your theology or to convince you of what I believe. But what I am here to do this morning is this, to give you a biblical understanding of what your heart view should be before the coming of the Son of Man. Because there's one thing that the Bible teaches us that every preacher should agree on. You may agree, pre, a, post, all of those things, but there's one thing we all need to agree on, which is biblical, that we are faithful at his return. 
And to me, that's more important. I said it the other week, friend, that is far more important to us living in this generation than having all the T's crossed and the dots, the I's dotted and our theology of when things are going to happen. It's much, much more important for us as East Point people that we're living in a faithful relationship with God and doing our best before we would stand before the Bema seat. This morning, I just want us to get a heart-set view and that we wouldn't actually fear that day. But in fact, we would look forward to that day because of the blessing that that day is going to be. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 4 and 16 to 18, and it says this, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven, and a loud command with voices of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Amen. And after that, we who are still alive will all left be, and are all left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Don't get discouraged about it. Get encouraged about it. This doctrine of the second coming is a doctrine of comfort. Because this doctrine is telling us there's going to be a day if we live into that season where we're going to meet the Lord in the earth and he's going to call us to be there, but the dead in Christ shall rise and those that have gone before us that we have loved and cared for and cherished, we're going to meet them in the air. Hallelujah. We're going to meet them in the air. And we're going to be restored in those relationships together. And here's the thing, we're always going to be with the Lord. We're always going to be with the Lord. And what a day that's going to be. When my Jesus, I shall see. Come with me to second, or Titus 2, sorry, 11 to 15. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live a self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. The whole teaching of end times, eschatology, friends, more than knowing dates and times and sequence and all of those things is this, that we live a faithful life, that we teach with purpose to encourage each other to live godly and righteous lives so that when the Lord comes back, he's pleased with us. I think I said this to you two weeks ago. I've got something in my wee head and I'm hoping that when the Lord calls us forward, we all get going forward as he's pointing. And we hear together. Well done, good and faithful servant. That we get to move forward together. I'm not saying that's theologically correct. I'll probably get struck off for saying it, but there you go. But I would love that to happen. Come with me with First John this morning, um, 3, 2 to 3. That's First John, the epistle of John, 3, 2 to 3. And it says this, Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will, will be has not yet 
being made known. See, there's a lot we don't know about the second coming of the Son of Man and about how we will be and who we will be. And sometimes we can get into all these arguments about all of that, but the word clearly states we will not yet be made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Isn't there a lovely comfort there? Isn't there a lovely thought of being strengthened that God will come and he will actually make us who he wants us to be? Do you ever look at your life when we're being honest about ourselves and we see things in our lives and we know, Lord, I do not measure up. You know, when our brother led us around the table this morning, I was sitting there and the Lord was saying, at times, Lord, I feel like a hypocrite because I know the dark places of my heart too. And hi, Lord, I need you to come and help me. But you know, the very things that in our lives we may struggle with, see, when that day come, Oh, what a day. <laughs> Glory. We're not going to have to struggle with the flesh anymore because we will be like him. It's all going to be good. It's all going to be good. It's all going to be different. We're going to be in the presence of the king and there's no need to fear because we're in the presence of the king. Now, we talked about three truths the last time we touched this subject. The fact that the judgment seat, that there's a judgment seat for the believers, not the great white throne. Remember, your sin was dealt with in Calvary, so we don't go to that throne, but we do stand before God at the Bema seat. We looked at Paul's writing, and specifically 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We see that on that day there will be rewards given or war, rewards withheld. The rewards, I believe, will be service for how we've lived for the king. And those rewards come in the, in the form, as the Bible says, they will come as crowns. And we will be given crowns. And those crowns, I think we will join the 24 elders. And it will come as an act of worship. And we will take those crowns and we will cast them at his feet to say, thank you, Lord, for all you've done for me. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done. They will be an act of worship that we will throw at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. But we know from 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that these works that we do now in this life, not our salvation, but works will be judged. And they will be judged and they will be tried. And 1 John 2 verse 28 tells us we will either stand before the Lord confident it says here, and unashamed. But will we be confident or will we be ashamed, church? Because we need to take control of what the scripture says and how the Lord wants us to live, and we need to work out our own salvation. Okay? And we need to honor God with our lives. It's not just putting your hand up in a meeting and saying, I've got saved but we actually have to work alongside the Holy Spirit and to work with him as he molds us and to do as he bids. And as we obey him and follow him, that's when we can know that we are confident standing before the throne. Now, go back to 1 Corinthians 3 and see what Paul is really speaking about when he's talking about trial and examination of our works. 
In 1 Corinthians 13, or 3, verses 13 to 15, what is Paul talking about here is really linked in again with Romans 14 and 10. We shall all stand in that place. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, you will stand and you will give an account before the Bema Seat of Christ. Now, let me explain a wee bit about the Bema Seat. Now, where does the Bema Seat come from? Go way back to gladiator times and to the Roman games and the lions and all of that. There was a seat that sat way above any other seat in the amphitheatre, and that was the Bema Seat. And from that, the judge could look down and see absolutely everything and everyone, and he had the final judgment. And that's what it means about the Bema Seat of Christ. The Bema Seat of Christ, we see that he is the umpire of our souls. And when we stand before him, we will give an account of every word, every deed, every motive that we've had. And that is what will be judged, just as it was in those days. Christ will judge us for all that we have done with what we have been given, and that's where we will have to give an account for our lives. That is the basis of the trial of our lives. And that is how we will be judged. Now again, friends, I am not talking about anybody being judged to lose salvation. But we are judged for what we do with all that God has given us. Jesus is the foundation of our faith. Only Jesus could save us. But Jesus wants us to build on that platform and to build for his honour and for his glory as we work with his spirit. We're going, and what we build, friends, is the very thing that will be examined. And that's what I want to talk about a wee bit this morning, the specifics of building and about us standing before the Bema Seat of Christ. We need to build with enthusiasm every day for the kingdom of God and the glory of God. God is watching our progress to see how we're getting on as we lay ourselves on that costly foundation that Jesus has given us. But our motives will be examined. Come with me this morning to Matthew chapter 6 and read this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 says, As Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their full reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And then it goes on to say, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue and the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward 
you. Hop down to verses 16 and 18. And again, it's all about fasting. It says, When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil in your head, wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. What Jesus is saying here is this, church. There are two places for rewards. Here on earth, by man, and in heaven, by the Lord Jesus. And the scripture tells us every motive of our heart for what we do and why we do it will be examined for the Lord. And that's where there needs to be truth in our inward part. We need to examine our hearts sometimes and say, well, why am I a kid's church leader? Why do you do the door? Why do you play an instrument? Why do I lead worship in church? Why do I preach as the pastor? What is the motive for what we do and why we do it? Because friends, if our motive is just to be seen and to the accolades of men, do you know something we've had a reward? But if we're doing it because we want to serve Jesus and bring glory to God and honor God through all of us, well then we will be found blessed and encouraged with the Lord. Turn, if you don't believe me about this, to 1 Corinthians 4 and 5 and see what it says. It says, therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness, will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. You see, when we do things, we need to do it in a quiet way, onto God. Not in a big showy way. Oh, look what I'm doing for Jesus. But let's do it with a humble attitude of heart that he gets all the glory, not for us. Now, I want to say this, church, this morning. In East Point, we have a culture to celebrate our wins. We have a culture to encourage each other, and that is good. It's good to bless one another and to encourage you because the scripture says encourage you one another. So if somebody is doing good, encourage them. As a young preacher, I've preached my first sermon at the age of 14 in the Salvation Army and in Donald. And I remember when I started to preach in my own church and people would come to the door and there was only a wee laddie and they would go, oh, that was amazing. That was lovely. And I get all frustrated and go all red. And all, oh, no, no, it's not me. And, you know, and I got all, you know. And my pastor collared me one day and he says to me, son, when people encourage you for what you've done, just say thank you. But see, when you get home, get on your knees. And give God all the glory. It's not about us. Sure it's not. It's about him. It's about him. And I thank God and, you know, public ministry. And we have an amazing worship leader. And I'm glad you make it all about Jesus, you guys. It's not about you. It's about the Lord Jesus. And I want to encourage you publicly to keep doing what you are doing. Because you are doing an amazing job, guys. You're helping us not to focus on a band but you're helping us focus on the presence of the Lord Jesus and you're doing an amazing job. You really are. 
But here what it's saying is this is not about the praise of man. It's about us keeping our focus right and our motives right that we bring God all the honor and then the glory so that we someday will cast our crowns before his feet. And over the next lock of week, friends, we're going to be looking after next Sunday, we're going to be looking at what those crowns are. There's five crowns that we're going to talk about. And we're going to look at those crowns and how, what they're about and basically how we get, we get those crowns. Our motives will be examined. And Paul says every man's work will be examined here. And when we go back to that concept of every believer building day by day on the foundation of faith, that is Christ Jesus. But notice chapter 3, verse 12. There are certain materials that we are to build with and can build with. There's a choice. We can build with gold, silver, or precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw. And the hay is not just for people from Balamina. Just saying. And we know what happens when the fire of judgment comes. The gold, the silver, and the precious stone, they will remain. But if you're building with hay and stubble, friends, that will be burnt up. Do you ever look at some of these countries that have these big, massive hurricanes? And you think to yourself, why do you build wooden houses? Because they're not going to stand. And sometimes in our life, we can build with substandard material. Maybe look like we're doing a good job, but in our hearts, our motive's not right. We're doing it maybe because we feel we have to do it. We're doing it maybe because we want to be seen. We're doing it because we've always done it. And we need to examine our heart and say, Lord, are we doing this because we want to glorify you, we want to honor you, and because we want to have something to cast at your feet? You know, friends, if we spend our lives with these things, building with these things, fire will consume some of them and we will have no reward. Now, it is difficult to try and work out, well, what's actually the Apostle Paul talking about when he talks about gold, when he talks about silver, precious stone? Is there really something that matches up with those and the hay and the straw and of those things? Well, we're not actually told what they really are. But can I throw a couple of wee things out to you this morning? And I'm not saying this is what they are, but it might help us to get a wee bit of understanding. Do you know gold in Scripture represents purity of heart? I wonder, as the Lord said, when we build with gold, we're building with pure motives. A motive just to keep our eyes on the Lord and follow him. Also, gold represents... That's why we didn't pick that lovely gold color just to be trendy. But the gold color represents the glory of God. And what's our first thing? We love the presence of God. That's why we chose the gold. That's the background of it. It represents the weary presence of God. And when we as a people build with pure motives and we build by seeking the presence of God, like Moses who says, I'm not going to move on, God, unless I, you move on with us. I wonder, could that be what the Apostle Paul meant by building with gold? Silver in Scripture was also something that represented truth 
And a lot of the vessels that were made and worship and the old tabernacle and the old temple were made out of silver. And we think of what the psalmist said, surely you desire truth and the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the inner place, Psalm 51. And maybe it's the Lord just saying, see when we build with good motives and authenticity, when we do it out of a pure heart, with the right motives to see God blessed by us and God do great things in us. I wonder, friends, is that what he means by building in silver? And then we also read about how there is precious stones. I wonder those precious stones, service, seeking God in prayer, reading God's word, studying God's word, because precious stone are something of value, of beauty. In fact, Revelation 21 and 19 says, adornment, quality of the precious stone. That the, sorry, Revelation 21 talks about how the foundations were studded with all these precious stones. I wonder, could those precious stones in our lives be, when we work with the Holy Spirit, to bear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? people of peace, people of joy, people of love, that we work with the Spirit of God to be what he wants us to be, to be Christ-like. And when we move in a Christ-like spirit, therefore, we're obviously going to honour him and we're building on a green foundation there. Okay? I'm not saying that is that, but I wonder, could it be that? And yet there are so many put their hand up in a meeting and they say they're followers of Jesus and their lives never change. And they're not concerned about a pure testimony or feeling the presence of Christ or displaying the precious stones of faith. On one hand, there are men and women who are seeking God diligently with all their hearts, with all their souls, on their knees, seeking God, serving God, striving day to day, becoming more like Christ. And yet on the other hand, we will see people who will not, lose their salvation if they're sincere but on that day they will have nothing to show to say thank you to the Lord Jesus for all that he has done for them no concept of holiness no concept of drawing near no concept of desiring more from God but when the judgment comes everything will be taken Everything will be laid bare, the motives of our souls, and we will either gain or we will lose. We will suffer loss, but yet the Bible says they will be saved even through the flame, by the skin of their teeth. Beloved, can I ask you again, as Jesus is asking me, what are you building with? What are you building with in your life? Are you building to bring glory to God? Are you making it all about him? Are you making it all about you? And maybe today you're thinking, well, pastor, you're scaring us now. You're convicting us, pastor. And listen, I'm as convicted as you are. But I thank God that God is a gracious God. And when we hear a word like this, and we work on a word like this, God will still honor. And if we know in our hearts today we're not as faithful as we should be, turn that around. 
if we, and we can only say this in Northern Ireland, if we've caught ourselves on, <laughs> and maybe we've realized our motive has been wrong. Maybe our heart's been wrong against another child of God, and we get a reality check. God is good. But it's taken this and saying, what are we going to do about this now? Let's build with the best we can to honor our God because on that day, we want to be able to take our crown off and say, to the glory of God. Because of all you've done. Remember that wee illustration I gave you, friends? Ever been to that birthday party or a special celebration and nobody told you you were to bring a gift and you're standing there like a clampet and you're so embarrassed because everybody else is given and you're standing there with nothing and you feel horrendous. What about that day, church? If we don't take heed to the motives of our heart, if we don't take heed to build with the best that we can build with, when you see his hands, you see his feet, up close and personal. And you know all he's done for you and you have nothing to worship him with. Church, I don't want us to be there. I want us as the people of God, as these pointers, to come and say, God, you are so good. And you have been so good. So we want to be working out our salvation. We want to be going to heaven with confidence that we did all in our being, all in our might, to bring glory to our God. Oh, pastor, you're convicting us. Amen. I'm convicted too. And do you know what we need to do? In these last days, we need to sober up. We need to become more focused. We need to become more aware of God's goodness to us. What the scripture says in James 4 and 17, says the one who knows the right thing to do but doesn't do it, that's sin. And if we know that our motives need to be cracked and right and we need to be building with gold, and we don't do it, that's sin. Let's read Titus 2 again. 11 to 15, it says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Oh, Lord, give us your grace. I'm not quite there myself yet, church. But I think if I keep seeking and keep praying and keep him, and every time I get knocked down, if I get back up again and keep working away for his honor and glory, I hope that I will. I know I'm going to heaven no matter what. But I know if I get my heart attitude right and if I work at honoring God, I hope that I will have something in my heart to give on that day. I want you to be there with me, with the same. While we wait for that blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of God, our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who himself for, gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and purify for himself a people that are his own eager to do what is good. 
these then are the things you should teach. And I got a green card this morning because Titus said, or Paul said to Titus, encourage and rebuke with authority. I've got it on good authority that I can preach that sermon to you this morning. But why? Church, I hope you know my heart. I'm not preaching this to bring anybody on to condemnation, but I'm preaching this because I love you as a family of God and I want us to stand before him collectively and give him a good East Point blessing at our individual life. So let's spur each other on to better work, to love each other more. Some of you that go to the midweek prayer meetings will often hear me pray this. I pray that God takes us as a family deeper in love than in any place we've ever been before. I actually have prayed that God would take us on this journey of love for one another, that when we're not together, it actually hurts. That we have a good New Testament heart for one another. And even in that, my friend, let me tell you this, that will build with gold, silver, and precious stones for the glory of God, because the Lord's greatest desire, as he's prayed, is that you might be one as we are one. And as we work for unity and for love and stirring one another up for good works and we bless each other and when one's down, we lift them up and when they're praying and their hands are down and we come alongside and we lift them up with our hands, we're all doing a good work to bring glory and honour to God. East Point, let's just do it. Let's get our heart attitude right. Let's get our motives right. Let's not let the enemy get a foothold in our lives. Let's do what it says. I was going to say on the ten, but on the word. And let's be what God wants us to be. Let's keep our hearts tender towards each other. Let's keep our hearts full of love for one another. And let's keep our heart before God right and work and to build with those precious stones, with the silver and with the gold for God's honour. For God's glory. Amen. Amen. Worship team.